I've already told Jim that my lesson today is probably going to be short. I've sat and thought for hours and days about what else I can say, but I keep coming up with nothing. Today, my message is simple. Jim asked me to teach a couple of weeks ago. He gave me the date and told me the series was I Am and told me to pick a Bible character that I find myself relating to. Well, he asked me through a text message, and I was at work. I read it, put the phone back on my desk, and said, not now. Work was crazy stressful. Jacob's football was back in full swing, and I was leaving for Boston in two weeks, and I would return just a few days before today. Well, as the day went on, two Bible stories kept popping into my head over and over again, and I was thinking, no, not those two, anything but those two. However, I could not shake them from my mind. I wanted to relate to a strong woman of faith. I wanted to be a pillar of strength and stand here today and speak eloquently on how my life related to Abigail's or Elizabeth's. You see, the people in my mind are secondary, mentioned in the Bible only once, not even by name, and not all of them are women. I'm relating to some misfits, so no named Bible characters who only have a snapshot of their lives revealed to us. A few verses to tell their story. And these are the people I found myself relating to. While talking about this lesson with my sister, I mentioned to her the people from the Bible that I found myself thinking of. The people that I could not get away from. And this idea that even no named people have stories to tell. My sister said everyone has a story to tell. The people we interact with, smile at, pass on the street, we have no idea what they are facing. We have no idea what people are battling on the inside. Everyone has a story to tell, and whether it takes us years to learn it or just a few minutes and a few verses, everyone has something to say. I finally stopped fighting against talking about these no-named characters that, I had, that had taken up space in my brain. Maybe I had more in common with them than I realized. And as the days went on, I quickly realized that was true. No matter how many times a person is mentioned in the Bible, the length of their stories, the number of their verses, everyone has a story to tell. This is from Mark 21 through 24 and 35 through 43. And I'm using the New Living Translation. Jesus crossed over by boat a large crowd met him at the seaside. One of the meeting place leaders named Jairus came. When he saw Jesus, he fell to his knees beside him as he begged, My dear daughter is at death's door. Come and lay hands on her so she will get well and live. Jesus went with him, the whole crowd tagging along, pushing and jostling him. This is verse 35. While he was still talking, some people came from the leader's house and told him, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Jesus overheard what they were talking about and said to the leader, Don't listen to them. Trust me. He permitted no one to go with him except for Peter, James, and John. They entered the leader's house and pushed their way through the gossips, looking for a story and neighbors bringing in casseroles. Jesus was abrupt. Why all this busybody grief and gossip? The child isn't dead. She's sleeping. Provoked to sarcasm, they told him he had no idea what he was talking about. But when he sent them all out, he took the child's father and mother 
along with his companions and entered the child's room. He clasped the girl's hand and said, Talitha, kum, which means little girl, get up. At that, she was up and walking around. The girl was 12 years of age. They, of course, were all beside themselves with joy. He gave them strict orders not to let anyone know what had taken place in this room. Then he said, give her something to eat. Doris was a leader, well-known and well-respected. He was also desperate, concerned, and exhausted. He ended up where we do when we feel the same way. He was searching for Jesus. And the great thing about Jesus is that you never have to search very far. He's always ready to meet us where we are. When seeing him, he falls at Jesus' feet, surrendering himself to Jesus. Jesus was the answer to all of his problems. Jesus is always the answer. Jesus was calm and practical. He asked what all this commotion was about because the girl was just sleeping. Jesus calls to the girl, and she immediately gets up and starts moving. There are many times when Jesus has called to me to knock me out of whatever funk I'm in. I am beyond blessed to have several Jairuses in my life who go to the Father, go before the throne on my behalf. People who spend hours praying over me and my family. As our Father, Jesus wants us to come to him. Come to him when we are hurting. Come to him when we have a need. Come to him when we are overwhelmed with his goodness. Jesus wants us to come to him for everything. Nothing is too big or too small to bring before the throne. Back when R.G. was kindergartner, first grade, my parents had asked her to be in a play at their church. They needed a young girl about her age, and at that time, their church didn't have many. We talked with her about it, and she agreed to do it, but only because she had no lines and would be with my father the whole time. My dad would carry Jean as she lay perfectly still in his arms. My dad would then go before the character playing Jesus, who would reach out and touch her, and she would sit up. My dad would place her on the ground, and then my father would then hug Jesus. They would walk back down the aisle of the church, and then G was to turn around and wave or point or smile or do something. The night of the play, G played the character perfectly. She was perfectly still in my father's arms and sat up with a big smile when Jesus touched her. But halfway down the aisle of that church, she turned and took off running towards the character who played Jesus and jumped into his arms. Now, I don't know if that's how the story ended here, but I would love to think so. Because there are days when I need to spend my day in the arms of my Savior. But there are so many more days that I know I should. I am Jairus' daughter. I have a father and several others that search for the Master on my behalf. Luke 17, 11 through 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. He was going into a village when ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. He called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back 
praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for the foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. While many things about this story stand out to me, like they were simply healed with the sound of Jesus' voice, and only one of those came back to thank him. When reading this story, the first part of verse 14 caught my attention like it's never done before. Jesus saw them. He saw them. He looked more than just at them or through them. He looked upon them the same way he looks upon us. How many times a day would people pass them, hear their cries, and purposefully look in another direction? Jesus looked at them on purpose, with meaning and with love. (coughs) Jesus looks on us every day with meaning and in love. He loves us when no one else seems to care or notice. We can be sitting here silently telling others that we're fine, but screaming out in our hearts and minds to God for help. And the truly amazing thing is, is that he hears us. He comes to us. He loves us. Many questions came to my mind while reading these verses. Like, how far did the one get before he returned? Did he notice he was healed and kept on going because the other ones didn't turn around? Was he overwhelmed with gratitude and that's why he returned? Did he have to search long to find Jesus? Did the other ones see him return? How often do we forget to return to the source of our blessing? There are days when I am the one that returns, staying at the feet of Jesus and praising him for all that he has done. However, far too often, I'm one of the nine, obeying his commands, but not giving him the praise and the glory that he deserves. We don't know what happened to any of the ones that were healed that day, but this is their story. But oh, what a story to be healed by Jesus. We don't know their names, but their story is important. Both stories are important. Returning to thank Jesus, but also knowing that there are those like us that fail to return to thank those that bless our lives. I am one of these men, looked upon by Jesus for what I truly am and loved anyway. Jesus pours his mercy undeserved upon me. He hears my cries and he heals me inside and out. This is Luke 8, 40 through 49. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. They were all expecting him. A man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pushing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know the power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. She took... 
She told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. This woman was desperate and searching and I think really, really scared. She was considered unclean and if noticed or recognized by this crowd, she would be called out for who and what she really was. She may have been desperate, but she was also determined. She just needed to touch his robes. She believed that even doing this simple task would heal her. She pushed her way through this massive crowd to reach what she had come to realize was her only hope. To touch the hem of his robes, she must have been close to the ground. Perhaps she stumbled or she was pushed, but instantly she was healed. It wasn't the touch of his robe, but the faith in her Savior, her Creator, her Healer that made her whole. It's all about Jesus. Jesus knew someone had touched him, and when he asked, who touched me, I could almost see Peter's face or hear that tone of sarcasm in his voice of, um, it's kind of crowded. People have been touching you all day. But Jesus knew this touch was different. He felt the power leave him. And the woman came and fell at his feet. And Jesus said, go, your faith has healed you. This woman was not the only one to touch Jesus that day. Like Peter had said, the streets were crowded. I found the following quote while reading the commentary about this story. It is quite possible to be in the immediate vicinity of Jesus without receiving his salvation through faith. This made me stop. It made me think. It made me sad. But then it made me apologize. For time and time again, coming into the presence of my Savior, my healer, and not recognizing him for what he is. I am the lady who suffered for 12 years and reached out on faith and simply touched Jesus' robe. Secondary characters, people whose names we don't know, but whose stories can have a major impact on our life. I can see all three of these on the I Am Second campaigns now, embracing the love that Jesus has poured upon them. The stories of this is where I was, this is where I came from, and then this man, this Jesus, touched my life and changed me forever. If we knew their names, would it change how we heard their stories? Perhaps it's not about their names, or even our names, meaning it's, it's not about us. It's about Jesus and what he can do through us and what he will do through us. I am flawed and imperfect. I do and say things that I shouldn't do, but my story is still worth telling, even if my name will never be associated with it. We may never know the impact that we have on somebody. These could impact somebody more in a way that we will never know. We could be the no-named character in somebody's story. I may be a secondary character, but I'm in good company. Their stories were worth telling. Their names may not be mentioned, but there are countless times when people you may meet in passing without even knowing their names may have a significant impact on your life. My life is full of secondary characters who may never know how they've shaped it or impacted my life. Some stay with you for years, and others, like the no-name characters mentioned here, are only in your life for a moment, only a few lines in your life's story. I grew up in a church 
and one youth counselor in particular, I consider a secondary character in my life. I never knew much about her past, but she never talked about it much either. But it was her faith that was solid. She was proof to a bunch of middle school girls that you could be a Christian and still laugh and joke and have a good time. She would often keep my sister and I when my parents went out of town, and I can still look back on those memories and smile. Brenda could always make me laugh, but it was her faith I remember the most. Her faith made me stronger. Yesterday, I learned from one of Jay's football coaches and a really good friend of mine that Matt and I are raising a secondary character. I noticed from the stands that Jay was doing an awful lot of talking in between plays. <laughs> and anyone who knows my Jay knows that that is not a surprise. He loves to talk. Come to find out, the center on Jay's football team had hurt his wrist during one of the very first snaps. And so after every single play, he would go up to him, put his arm around him and say, dude, we need you. You're doing great. Keep it up. We need you. I don't know how long we're going to see the parents or the players on Jay's team. After this season, we may never see him again. But my prayer is that Jay is planting a seed in the lives of those that he is coming in contact with. To him, he is doing nothing out of the ordinary. He is not doing it to show off. He's simply doing what his heart leads him to do. How often do we take the opportunity to bless those around us? to be the secondary character in someone's story. All of our stories are important. No matter how deep or miraculous our testimony is, our stories are still worth telling. Jesus called us to be salt and light to this world. Matthew 5, 13 through, 13 through 16 says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It does not say that our good deeds give us glory. All glory goes to Jesus. Rather, it's reaching out to Jesus making sure to thank him for all that we do, or coming to the Savior in our greatest time of need. It is not about us, our names, or even our story. It's all about Jesus. Everything we have, everything we are, everything that we do is because of him. The story of the lepers, the healed woman, the daughter, we are all to turn our attention to Jesus. He interacted with people in different ways, but every time, all of their lives were changed forever. We can learn several things from these people. One, personal interactions with Jesus will always be life-changing. Two, we can learn that Jesus can use us where we are, rich, poor, sick, well. Jesus uses us as is. And three, we learn that no problem is too big for Jesus. No matter how long we have suffered, how much pain we are in, how many times we have been shunned, laughed at, segregated. No matter what we have endured or what we have done, Jesus can use us. He can clean us up, meet us where we are, come to us when we ask. He heals our bodies, he fixes our hearts, and he makes us salt and light.
And four, we learned that the feet of Jesus is a wonderful place to be. It took me a few days to realize that all three of these characters end up at his feet. The healer ends up there and thanking him. The woman came trembling to his feet after she was healed. And the father starts at his feet, asking Jesus to heal his daughter. If anything, I have learned and that I need to spend more time at the feet of my Savior. Jesus stands in our place, the place of the simple, no-named characters, and tells the Father that we belong to him. One day, while listening to the radio, the song, He Knows My Name, by, Fran- by Francisca Battistelli came on. It gave me the assurance that I needed that my lesson of no-namers was going in the right direction. I don't need my name in lights. I'm famous in my Father's eyes. Make no mistake, He knows my name. I'm not living for applause. I'm already so adored. It's all His stage. He knows my name. This is our story, one of redemption, and one that is always worth telling. Thank you. Amy let me know that... uh, she had 30 minutes worth of material, which in Amy speak is a little less than 30 minutes worth of material. <laughs> because Amy is a great speaker, and great speakers don't talk forever. Um, so I did this series for a couple of reasons, um, and I, I purposely did not participate. My name is Jim, for those of you who don't know me. So there's a couple of visitors in the room. I'm the, the teacher for this class. Uh, I did this series for a couple of reasons. One, uh, we're going to start a new series next week. Uh, be part two of Systematic Theology. And we're going to go through for about uh, 10 or 12 weeks on that. And then we'll do a series in December on love. Uh, and it is my goal and hope to teach straight through uh, starting next week through the end of December. So I needed a couple of weeks off to gear up for that and study ahead. Uh, And I also wanted to know more about three of my friends. Uh, I wanted to know who my friends thought that they saw themselves as when they flipped through the pages of Scripture. Uh, And I've gotten a couple of emails from several of you saying, thank you for doing this series and having us learn more about some folks in our class. So I got to see that Terry Bolden uh, was as transparent as I have ever seen him, because anybody who would get up and say, I am Judas Iscariot, uh, I mean, that's, that's, uh, you know, Dante in his Inferno said that there were nine levels, seven or nine nine levels of hell, right? And the ninth level was reserved for Brutus, Cassius, and Judas Iscariot. Uh, So so I appreciate uh, your transparency and your honesty, Terry. Uh, Last week, Dave Barber talked about uh, Nehemiah, uh, and many of you, the, the light bulb clicked on who Dave Barber is and how he operates and, and why that works, uh, and, and why many of us tap on him for getting things done, because it's a, well, here's the facts, so let's go take care of the problem. Uh, and, I, and I praise God for that. And then this week, we get to hear Miss Amy V. Uh, walk through uh, what I think is one of the grander stories of all the scripture is all the folks who don't have names. Uh, because in the reality, that's us, right? We're the folks that follow Jesus that will never be in the pages of scripture. Uh, but it is absolutely spectacularly beautiful uh, to see how we can find ourselves in their stories. Uh, 
So I hope you've learned a little bit about each one of these three folks. Um, I've had quite a few of you ask me who I thought I am in the Bible. I'm not telling that story yet. Uh, I do plan to do this series over and over and over again. So be expecting a tap on the shoulder or a text message or an email that says, who do you think you are? Uh, and don't feel the pressure of doing a whole lesson. I, what I'd like to do uh, sometime in 2015, and yes, I'm already planning out the 2015 series. Uh, I talked to Julie yesterday about some potential 16 and 17 options as well. Uh, it, I'm a planner, sorry. That's, <laughs> that's, that's who I am, right? Um, but what I'm thinking about doing, and you guys give me some feedback on this, is having maybe three or four people on a given Sunday morning share for maybe five to eight, maybe ten minutes, uh, so that you might not feel the pressure of, oh my gosh, I've got to talk for 30 minutes, or it's, it's okay, right? We can scale it accordingly. Um, so just wanted to give some comments on that. Uh, two, second thing I wanted to say, was we're making some changes to the Sunday School prayer request sheet. So if you can lay eyes on it for just a second, it's the piece of paper in the middle of the table. And you'll notice that there's now two sections for prayer requests at the top. Um, several of you write the exact same thing every single week, and I praise God for that because that tells me that this is passionate, it's on your heart, uh, and we want to save you some time each week. So if you want something to show up each week until you tell us, take it off, you can put it in the ongoing section and it'll be printed there next Sunday morning because several of us check the Facebook page every 30 minutes and several of us have never logged in. So that's where all of these go. So these can show up here each Sunday so that we can all be aware of what's going on both short-term and long-term. So we think we're making a, a little tweak here, so thanks to Darla for bringing that up. Um, Darla has a patch, she coordinates all our prayer requests, so the, the reason your request gets paid, prayed for is because of Darla. So if you wanna thank somebody, you can thank her for that. Uh, she's passionate about this and is constantly having conversations with me about how can we get more people to pray, more people engaged, more people active in this part of the, the church, which I think is fantastic. So one was be thinking about who you are, two is changes to the prayer requests, and three is, I'm, I'm gonna be selfish for just a second here, uh, I would appreciate your prayers as I, I start to do something that I really honestly haven't done in probably eight years, and that's teach a, a pretty long stretch in a row. So um, I'm excited about this next section of systematic theology. Don't let that phrase scare you. Systematic theology is just looking at the Bible and figuring out what it says, what the whole Bible says about a single topic. And the next big section is the doctrine of God. So there's a lot of material there. Um, and that's why it's going to take you know, 10, 12, 14 weeks to get through that kind of material. So I'm, I'm very excited about it. I've read about half of where we're going to be going um, and have sketched out probably a third or so of the lessons on, on what's next. So I'm pumped about it, very excited about it. I think you'll enjoy it, uh, and we'll start that next week. So I'll give you the rest of this time to make sure your prayer requests are on the prayer request sheet. Also, please make sure that your name is at the bottom. That's how we do attendance in our class. And then if you'll pray as a group, and we'll be dismissed after you pray. So thanks for coming to Sunday School today.